This is Agents Influence Podcast. I believe that every agency has the ability to strategically figure out how to go after bigger fish. Bigger fish go after capabilities. So obviously you can't have a wide spectrum of capabilities if you're a million dollar shop or a hundred thousand dollar shop or five hundred thousand dollar shop. But you can absolutely define one or two areas that you have a substantial amount of risk in percentage wise for your firm. Articulate the pain points of those industries. Identify your niches. Bolster those expertise. Articulate the business problems and then have the tenacity and the discipline to say no to stuff that falls outside i'm jason cass and we're going to help you think differently change your agency change your finances change your family and in the end we're going to change an industry let's go Hey, 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 what's up? How are you loyal listeners doing? This is Jason Cass with Agents Influence Podcast, Conversations with Jason Cass, and today I got my boy, Ryan Deeds. You guys know him. Come on now, hooping and hollering. They're like, damn, I saw it pop up in the notifications. I was like, Cass got Deeds. Yeah, he's right here. He's right here. So Deeds reached out. So Deeds, how are you doing, doing, man? I've been doing awesome, man. Doing just working with a lot of agencies, doing uh, you know, it's fun to come on this podcast. I get to talk about data and the stuff that I'm doing on yeah. the agency side. On my podcast, I got to talk. I talk about a lot of different things, and so it's always cool because when I pick up like little nuggets of things, I'm like, oh, I want to get on with Cass and see but if we now. can kick this around, you know. Yeah. So we're in the green room and he starts telling me about some metrics. I was, I put in my hand, I was like, Whoa, you guys can't see it. We have video on each other, but this thing doesn't record the video, just gives the audio. But I was like, Whoa, dude, no, this is going to be good. And then, and you, we don't have to, but I got to tell you, um, if you don't want to talk about it now, we don't have to, we can talk about it afterwards. But, uh, you came and you hit me with that CIO thing. Yeah. 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 So I got a guy and he's, um, he used to work with like Intel and stuff, like big, talk, big. Talking about David from uh, Fudge. Well, I'm, I'm no, I'm not saying anything. Okay, okay? Uh, I mean, it depends on if you want to say it. Okay, so anyways, I told him what what you kind of had. I said, here's the thing. I didn't show him anything. I said, here's what he's thinking about. What do you think? And he was like, dude's on the right track. He was like, I could definitely see, it. and I know it is. Three times since I've talked to you, I've had larger brokers say to me, Jason, where would I get a guy like Orion Deeds, you know? And it's like, well, you only have 10 people in your office. I'm telling you, you may not be able to afford him. But it made me start thinking about that thing you were talking about and thinking, dude, that could really, really, really be huge. Just just, just my thing, dude. I didn't believe you so much. I not didn't believe you. I didn't understand the power of it that it really could be a need until just in the last couple months. So something that you got. Well, and I think I think right now, you know, with all these agencies having to jump through so many different technical hoops, and the guys that have kind of invested in uh, technolo- technology and talent in that sphere are so much better off. But everybody, this is kind of you know, COVID's kind of baseline to everybody because we're all working from home now, and they, and some agencies have had a lot harder time with it than others. But you know, I think it's all been actually awesome for the industry from a technological adoption standpoint. You know, because it's forced us to modernize. So, and tell, and tell them, so in case they haven't heard your prior, prior podcast, like what do you do for agencies? 
So my, my primary job today is to uh, help AssureX Global, which is a large conglomerate of um, insurance agencies, understand their data more effectively and how to leverage that data and monetize it to some extent and, um, you know, work with carriers to, to have volume. And so really, I build platforms to, to look at this data. And so as I was going through this, I saw a, an analytic that just keeps coming up in my head as one that's a critical one. And I was just curious, you know, from your perspective and your listeners' perspective, it's, if it's something that you guys track. Um, it's not a hard metric to get. But that, that's kind of one of the things that inspired me to reach out. And I was like, man, I want to talk about this on the podcast. Fantastic, dude. I appreciate you doing that. So you're an agency out there. You're going to have to have some, I'm not going to say deep pockets. I'm not saying he's expensive, but his knowledge is intense. And you say, hey, I got all this data, Ryan. Um, and Ryan says he looks at it. He says, hey, I think we can do this and this. I need a five-year plan or something. It's going to take us a couple of years to clean the data up. And then the last couple of years to actually execute and drive this baby home. Home. Would I be would I be nice to say from a high level view, Ryan? That's kind of what you do. It is absolutely. Now I work okay. with very specific firms today, but I think that um, that every it's funny because data is hard, right? And and I always just try to l- set that expectation. It takes a long time to get it right, and whoever you get in there to do it, if they're telling you it's an easy button win, it's not. It's it's mm-hmm. it's a multi year process, right? And so yeah, I definitely think that. But it's critical. I mean, it's it's and I see it more and more every day as I'm working. I mean, I'm working with you know billions and dollars of premium uh, now from a data perspective. And it's just, it's really neat stuff that we're able to, to, to kind of glean. And especially as a data nerd, I'm like, Oh my God, this is so cool. And watching two different firms or three different firms and how they have to operate because of this one core analytic is, is, is significant. What is that one core analytic? So uh, average account size, it's interesting to me that average account size is you, I can tell more from from an agency that says tells me their average account size than almost anything else. You Premium know, or revenue? I mean, I typically go by revenue, but okay. A lot of, no, no, let's talk that. That's yeah. in your mind. You're talking. Okay, right. go. And so, if you look at a couple of the firms that that I've, I've known throughout my history, I, I would say I would generally see. You know, the smaller the firm is, the smaller their average account size is because the less their capabilities are. But as they matriculate up and mature, they should always be watching the trend. I think on a producer level, watching what a producer's average account size is, that obviously that translates over to the um, agencies. And it's because, like, we'll, we'll take it an agency that I know uh, that has like a $9,000 average account size. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't just happen. No. Right. That that is that is when when somebody says when I look at an analytic and I see average account size of nine nine thousand dollars, that's that intentional. Means that's sales discipline. That's mm-hmm. turning down risk. Mm-hmm. That's that's hiring. I mean, and, and when you come have, on, Beats. I mean that 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 is making sure your producers are not incentivized on small junk. That you have the tenacity to say no. We don't want to write that thing, you know. And not every agency is going to be able to do that. Do right. nine thousand, but. I think every agency can absolutely have a target client. What's the perfect client for us? Does this client that you're bringing fall into that or fall outside of that? And if it falls outside of that, have the have the ability to turn it away. I see too many agencies, and, and we'll just talk some broad numbers. I've got an, uh, you know, if you look at an eleven million dollar firm that has an average account size of eight hundred dollars a client, that that's that's. 
the, the inefficiencies that you pick up because of the manpower that you have to maintain to, to do that, that'll get you to 120, 130 employees on an $11 million book. That's, that, mm. that is hard to run mm. super profitably. Mm-hmm. Where if you have a $8,000, $9,000 average account size, I mean, you could be a $50, $60 million shop and have 100, 200 employees that are – and it's not nearly as crazy because one agency would have 5,000 clients. The other agency will have 33,000 clients. Ryan, but, Ryan, dude, you got to quit, dude. You don't, don't act like you ain't been listening to my podcast lately and all this shit. Because I'm telling you, this is the main thing I've been speaking. I just did a mastermind. Now, here's the thing, loyal listeners, you know this, that Ryan does it. I just recorded a podcast before Ryan's that you just listened to, and it was with um, uh, Heath Sharon. And we talked about this very same thing. So I apologize, but we're going to get Deed's side of it as he's asking us. Deed's. I talk to these agents, these agents, they say, Hey, I'm like, Hey, how are you? Hey, did it do what size is your agency? I'm like, Oh, you know, so-and-so revenue. They'll be like, Oh yeah, we got like thir- we got 3000 clients. I'd be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. And they'd be like, yeah, we got 2000 clients. The other guy'd be like, Oh yeah, we got about this. And I'm like, okay. 30 minutes later, the conversation is God, I'm stressed out. God, the sales work. Gosh, the team is this and that, you know? And then uh, an hour later I go have a drink with a different guy. He has the same size revenue as somebody who this other guy said he had 2,000 clients, but he instead has 250 clients and he has the same amount of revenue and he's making four times the amount of money. And he has, instead of having five, 10 companies with all these different processes, he's got three, you know what I mean? And he's just not hyper, he's just not focused into commercial insurance. No, they're hyper focused into actual just trade contractors inside commercial insurance um, and inside of the construction firm, I should say. So no, it goes right back to this. And I want to say this so we don't feel as if we're beating up everybody. Because you said it, not everybody can do this. One is not better than the other. We're not saying that. But he's looking at a metric and he's telling you that why when that – now, let me ask you. Okay, so I was at Billy Williams thing and a guy raised his hand when I was saying what you were saying back in February. And he said, Jason, how do we get $9,000? Ours is and our agency is a 10000 revenue. That's our goal is to find somebody who's 10000 in revenue or more. And I said, it's easy. It's a targeted prospecting list. Mm -hmm. If the people that are on your prospect list are going to bring you $800 in revenue, you're going to write people that are going to be $800 in revenue. It was amazing how two years ago when we flipped the script and said, no, 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 you're not going to get paid and and see some of these agencies get crazy. Like anything less than 5,000 in revenue, they don't pay a producer. That's right. I can, I can see that could be a little tough in a lot of agencies. I get that everybody. Mm But for but what we did was is we said anything less than a thousand dollars in revenue you don't get paid for. Now that didn't seem like a lot, but for a small town agency, it was amazing. And our producers even noticed it. They're like, "Man, all of a sudden, like I'm starting to write bigger accounts." I'm like, "Because all you did was you changed who your prospects were. That's all you did, you know." So what we classified it as seventy and one hundred and fifty thousand. We did some research on this. Um, we found out that up to about 400000 in premium and above, that's when you start getting into locked in. That's when you start. I, I, insure, I insure a couple of those locked in guys, their personal auto home, and they tell me this. Martian McLennan's, the Brown and Browns, that's where they've been. But they don't like to go below that 400000 because that's less than 50000 in revenue, and that's just not big to them, right? 
So that's that's where we camp out. So ours is a big fish is 70,000. Anything over 150,000 is a whale. Where did we choose those numbers? Because 70,000 to an $80,000 account will grit you about 10,000 in revenue. Right. That's who we call. Now, what's amazing is, is we have 1,100 clients. We're trying to figure out how to get to 250. Right. That blows people's effing mind, deeds, that they're like, what? You're trying to get less clients? Yeah, to make more money. What? Well, That's think, it, dude. Your metric is right F on, dude. Well, I think you said I think you said it. I think that you, when I look at agencies and how they mature over time, there's critical inflection points. Uh, the way a $1 million, and we're talking revenue, $1 million revenue agency is run is significantly different than a five. There's things that you have to do at $5 million that are much different than you had to worry about at one. Or you could just kind of kind of run your business, right? I mean, it, mm-hmm. I, I see non-purposeful, hey, we're just kind of trying to grow, grow, grow. We don't care what it is. Before you know it, you're at $7 million in revenue. You, you've got 100 employees, and you're more stressed than you were beforehand. You're, you're not profitable. The money that you thought you would make isn't there. And it's because you just let it happen. I believe that every agency has the ability to strategically figure out how to go after bigger fish. Bigger fish go after capabilities. So obviously you can't have a wide spectrum of capabilities if you're a million dollar shop or a hundred thousand dollar shop or five hundred thousand dollar shop. But you can absolutely define one or two areas that you have a substantial amount of risk in percentage wise for your firm articulate the pain points of those industries, make sure your producers can talk about that stuff. I I just remember this one story of a producer that was brand new to the scene, man. He comes in, he goes to this petroleum company. They just gave him, he was an employee benefits guy. They pitched him, the the agency pretty much just armed him with a notebook and said, go out and write this business. Now this cat was real smart. He goes out and tries to write the business. The business says, hey, what are you going to, what's your program going to help us with shrinkage? My guy didn't even know what shrinkage was in the context of petroleum. So he's like, well, uh, I don't have any idea. Obviously, he didn't get that account. What he did do is he came back. He researched the hell out of shrinkage. He understood that employee benefits applied in these industries, increased employee engagement, reduced employee theft, increased retention, all that jazz. He went back to another uh, petroleum supplier a couple weeks later after he'd perfected his pitch, got it all down, and he started just knocking it out. Within a year and a half, this cat was a $400,000 revenue producer. Within three years, he was an owner of an agent. He was part of the ownership of the agency because he came at it from a very, very strategic perspective. He didn't have all the capabilities in the world, but he understood what would drive revenue from the insurance product and help articulate that understanding to that person, to those businesses. And now if your producer is smart, that's how they can kind of look and say, I have a passion for beer, beer manufacturers. Go figure out the problems of the beer manufacturers, figure out how your, your, the insurance stuff helps drive that. And at that point, now you have something really, you can go out and work with the carriers to even create programs to do that before you have a lot of volume. And that's how you start to niche out. I think every agency probably started as a general agency, but then you have to identify your niches, bolster those expertise, articulate the business problems, and then have the tenacity and the discipline to say no to stuff that falls outside as you grow. If you want to grow profitably, I mean, anybody I think can grow for a short period of time if they're just grabbing everything, but it doesn't, it doesn't help. I mean, when I look at one of the agencies I worked at, we had 5,000 clients. We were 23 million in revenue. We had, but 25% of our clients, 25% were personal lines. 
and they drove less than five percent of our overall revenue. That mm-hmm. is a crazy amount of work, and so that stuff was all service centered out, you know. And if they, if the client was like, "I don't want to go in the service center," well, here's another agency that you can call. This can be a great fit for you. We really are sad to see you go, but you, you got to make. Sometimes you, like you said, you got to lose these clients to grow effectively. And if your producers aren't trading down, if they want to stick in that little stuff, there is not one agency above ten million dollars that I've ever worked with that is paying tail on. Uh, stuff to personal lines or select accounts. And you say tail, you're talking renewals, renewals. Yeah. There may be a 10%, 15% finders fee that it goes in, they get paid one time. The good agencies will remove that from their book of business though, as they look at it from a growth perspective. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to say, Oh yeah, you put on a hundred thousand dollars worth of personal lines, referral business that no, I need you to put on mm-hmm. between your, your target client size above select accounts, above 5,000 in revenue accounts. What did you grow? If you didn't grow 70 to 150, then you're not a producer problem. Did you hear that virtual intelligence and on-hand VAs actually merge? That's right. I was talking to Michael Cruz and checking out what he has there with his Colombian workers. And I said to him, dude, what's up? You realize you're not a VA, right? He said, what do you mean? I said, you're a VE. Look it up on ChatGPT. I encourage you to do that too. He's got forward-facing VEs. VEs that can answer the phone and take questions 30 days in. You say yes to Michael. I want what you have. In 30 days, that's what he delivers. I said, Michael, this is unbelievable. We're strong in the front, but we're really strong in the back end. You provide the external VE for us. We provide the internal VE. I looked at him. I said, buddy, let's do this together. Let's let's do this. And he looked at me and he put out his hand and like a good solid Cuban American, he said, Jason, I'm committed. Let's do it. And that's what we did. We flew to Columbia. We saw his operation and you need to see it too. Give us a little click at virtual Intel. That's with two L's. That's virtual I N T E L L dot com. Go check us out. See what we're doing. High quality VEs mixed with technology delivered right into your agency. And you don't have to do all the things that you don't like to do, like hiring, firing, requiring, recreating, trying to find processes. Just there's so much stuff. I can't even say it right. That's right. Virtual Intel cast certified. So there's a couple let's, there's a couple of things we can talk about here. So you're talking about retention and you're talking about telling people no. So we're talking about stopping people from going coming in and we're talking about letting the people leave that should. Okay? And the thing about this is and I love what you're talking about here because I'll tell you this, my producers, my two top producers that sell in niches, they don't tell people no. Going to reason why I'm going to let me let me emphasize our agency tells people no because they're doing nothing but calling their targeted list, right? right. If somebody calls us and says, hey, we want you to help us with this or that, that's where we have to be disciplined and to say no because we don't have an inside sales game and it's not something that we really want. We have a very external proactive approach. So we're saying no, like, ah, no, it's not getting to the producer for him to say no. So for everybody out there to think about that, preventing that no is is stopping it from them from even talking to those people in the first place. But one thing I want to talk about, which is something I haven't talked about in a while, is retention. Um, I got to tell you, like, God, people are going to disagree with me on this, but half of them are going to agree. Retention is overrated in a lot of scenarios and agencies. 
When you are a high-functioning sales organization, you're trying to rid your bottom 20% every year or two or three years so that you can constantly be growing. Now, I'm not saying that for the little guy, average America, okay? I'm not saying that. But for to sit here and say that we're 98 or 99 or 95% retention, I think that that's not always a good thing. I think that if you're constantly trying to raise that price, that metric you're talking about from 5,000 to 7,000 to 10,000, I got to get rid of those other people at some point in time to keep moving that metric. So it's kind of like debt. Most of the time, debt's bad, but every once in a while, there's times where debt's good. There is good debt. I think sometimes there could be good retention. Now, if you don't have a proactive sales approach and you're not writing any business, that, that could be bad. But I think as sometimes we need to, um, if we're a high-functioning sales organization, we may beat ourselves up on retention too much. Agree? Disagree? What do you think? I think that depending on, like you said, it's very specific about what you're losing. You know, mm-hmm. if if you've made the strategic decision to say, look, we're going to move all of select anything below X threshold into this service center or this program, and the the, the clients don't like it, and you have the 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 balls to say yes, we're getting rid of them anyways. That's fine, lose it because mm-hmm. you, because you're losing money on that. If you have to touch True. it for ten minutes, you're not making money on a two hundred two hundred revenue account. It's just not going to happen. It's true. So so I think that as, when I look at so retention, true. I'm always looking at what accounts are going out the door. What are the sizes? If they're smaller, I'm great with it. If they're a bad client, they I mean profitability is a bastard to track. It's a nightmare to track. But everybody kind of understands your problem problematic clients in there. Mm-hmm. But I think what you said is interesting because in my head, agencies, even the sm- the smallest agency out there right now, if you set the behavioral patterns in place today, they're much easier to maintain as you grow than they are to change once you get to some mythical number that you think, oh, we're going to mature at that level. And the thing that I see that happen the most is non-clarity and production roles. If you're a producer, I don't believe that I, I think retention plays into that a little bit, but mm-hmm. truly that's the team that should be retained. A producer is a hunter killer. Go out and get new relationships. It's true. And if you don't have that defined for your producers and they're in there dicking around with X lists and pulling this list and that list and doing this crap, you're removing their ability to hunt and kill. You don't mm-hmm. have the operational maturity to go out there and do that. So I think mm-hmm. tightly defining what, cause I've seen so many producers ret- that still exist. Say I have a sales goal of one hundred and twenty thousand dollars in revenue on a, on a for a producer that's validated, which is mm-hmm. not outside of the, which is really normal for for larger firms. If year after year that producer comes back and does seventy thousand, eighty thousand dollars, and you as the owner keep that producer, that's on you. That it's is true. on you, and you can yep. scale that number to whatever you want to. It doesn't have to be those big numbers. Mm-hmm. But having that producer, Alec, because they. Everything gets lost in excuses. I couldn't go generate new business because I was dealing with retention. I got into these weird reviews. I did this other, I don't give a damn. None of that matters. Did you hit your sales goal or not? Did I give you the operational ability to do that? Did I support you the way that you need to, to be able to get that stuff? And if you don't, if you start clarifying that when you have two, it's way easier when, than when you have 10. When you have mm-hmm. 10, you've got two people in there with million-dollar books of business that are like, screw you, we're not doing it now, right? That's so, right. And, and it's very hard to shift culture. That's why I think that it's interesting, as, as so many of the listeners that, that, that you have have agencies that are in growth mode, that are growing for, from the smaller revenue size to larger. But I would think that their plan is to grow that into larger mm-hmm. revenue sizes. 
And that is a key behavior that I believe drives all of this. Because if you if you incentivize your producers on the small crap, that's what they're going to – small business is easier to win, right? It, it's, it's, it, I need the producer that's going to go out and take 100 no's on, on this class of business as quickly as possible at this size to get the one yes so I can understand the math behind it. I mean that's what I need, and I need to make sure I free that guy up to be able – if he needs to make 100 calls, 100 visits a month to close those two, those two accounts – and that's what I need to make sure he has the time to do. And so that, that clear definition of what a producer is, because I think that, that that is oftentimes not clear. It, 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 they have all kinds of different responsibilities in the organization. You know what's funny? As I sit here and I listen to you, I, you sound like a, um, an operations manager. You sound like a sales manager. You know, and what's amazing, and 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 I want to I want to I want to I want to focus this lens in a little bit clearer for you, loyal listeners. He talks about behavioral patterns. You'll hear him talk about that a lot, and he says this is the right behavior, this is the right thing, right? We think that as agency owners because that's the way we think or feel. He's giving you these based on if you heard what he said at the very beginning, a metric. He in his brain as he's talking to us who can't understand his brain, he's talking to us and he's giving us facts. He's not giving you opinions. He's not giving you things that are he's like, "You know what? I've worked for enough places that I've seen this, you know? He has seen this. He's seen the numbers. He's been able to see that. So when you see Jason talking about raising your revenue per client, and I promise you loyal listeners, Ryan reached out to me and said to me, Cass, I want to talk to you about something to get you. I had no idea this is what this was about. And then he comes on and he's backing up. And I don't even want to say back up. He is emphasizing and setting a factual description to what we're talking about in that revenue. I want, I just wanted to focus them in on that for a minute, Ryan, because they, the way you're talking, it sounds so much like an operations manager and a sales manager, but those people look at stats, but you're looking at deep data that's bringing out stats. And like you said, you're in some of these places you're looking at are, are managing a billion dollars in freaking premium. I don't think revenue, but premium, maybe even right. revenue. I don't know. These are big ass places you deal with. So uh, loyal listeners, keep that in mind as you listen, because I know you're going to back this up and listen to this again. And when you do keep that in mind, this is coming from factual. You use the word behavioral a lot when you talk, right? I don't know if you realize you do that. And when other people talk about that, they don't talk about behaviors, but I think you have to look at data to determine behaviors. Absolutely. I think you can look at, I think you can look at character after you've been with someone for a long time. According to talking to strangers with Malcolm Gladwell, he actually says, this is very interesting here. He actually says that thin slicing, you can get better choices with people because too much data, the brain's too much data, can't necessarily uh, get it all. So it was a, it was a question he asked. He said, there was a question that they they did, and they said, "Would you rather a got up a, a doctor's getting ready to work on you, okay, getting ready to do a major surgery, and you get to choose the doctor by hanging out with him for a year as his best friend, or listening to him talk to five clients for three minutes apiece?" It's been studied over and over and over and over again by studying these doctors and which ones are the best and which ones are the most liked. The one they the, the best choice would for you to fi- listen to five doctors for one minute a piece. It's called thin slicing. It's a very very interesting thing. Sorry to get off topic, no, but man. you talk about behaviors a lot, and that's a really really big thing that data is driving in your brain. Well, I mean, it's because for so long. I mean, I I think I think about two agencies all the time. So if would you rather? 
be an $11 million firm with 33,000 clients and 120 employees, or a $22 million firm with 55 employees and 3,000 clients? Yeah, to me, it's the second one, not by all, all day long. But it does not happen just because. It happens because that $22 million firm said, hey, we are going to go into these niches. When they, and this is when they were $2 million, a $1 million in revenue. And we are going to hire for that. We're going to, to staff for that. And yes, we may be pigeonholing ourselves a little bit because that's always the thing I get back on the, if I niche out, I'm going to pigeonhole myself. Well, not really. What you're doing is you're figuring out the process of how to define the niche, how to mm-hmm. articulate the business value mm-hmm. of your intangible product, how it affects the bottom line for that client and make sure the producers that you have can articulate that. Down the stretch, the more you can arm the producer to talk about how my product affects that business's bottom line and enhances their either employee engagement, safety, all the things that matter to that client, that's how you're going to sell to these larger places. And and I, I just, I cannot emphasize that enough. And so, yes, when I look at a producer, the, one of the key statistics I want to see is what was his three-year average account size. Because if that three-year average account size was 500, 850, 1200, Hey, he's moving in the right direction. The eight That's right. Incentivizing the right way. We're doing mm-hmm. the right things. We're pulling the crap off that we need to. Mm-hmm. If he's staying flat or if it, I, I don't care what the size of his book is as much as what is that number? Because that number will dictate success and how much money the agency will drive out of that, you know? And so, yes. uh, I mean, that, that and, it, and you're right. I mean, to me, behaviors, analytics help us understand the results of some of the behaviors that we have. And I mean, like, it's just weird because average account size is kind of an conglomerate. People use revenue per employee all the time, but I actually think that revenue per employee hides more because average account size is revenue per employees is a derivative of average account. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. You know, and yes, so, it is. so I just think that that if that's top of mind for firms, if I'm a $500,000 revenue shop today, and I want to get to the most profitable place at $2 million, then I'm figuring out what's in my book today that I do good at. What do I have good carrier relationships on? What can I educate myself and my staff on the most effectively? How do I put out the marketing material for that either on an automated way or just making calls to these places? How do I get testimonials for those clients on the stuff that we've done so I can build this program out? And once I have that process knocked, how do I do that for four other niches? You know, it's, true, dude. it's and, very, very true. So, um, so, Hey, anybody, as we wrap this up, where do, where can people find out more about you? If they want to follow you, where do they find your podcast? LinkedIn is the place to go. Ryan deeds, the digital broker is the podcast. If you Google digital broker, you will find that on there and, and you can listen to me pontificate about all kinds of insurance nonsense for, uh, for, for hours on end. <laughs> he has people like me and like Seth Zaremba and other cool people on those. So you got to check it out. And, um, and, and any, any, any last thing that you want to say? I would, I would, if I'm an agency principal today and I want to understand what my producers roles are, I would, I would do a quick audit on ask a few producers, what are their responsibilities? And if they say anything other than selling business, making new relationships, then you're probably need to adjust that some. And that adjustment will pay off in spades long-term. 
Yeah, it sure will. It absolutely will. You want to find him, you need to find him. Um, and I want to remind you also with a shameless self-promotion here that if you want to start your own podcast, go to wegotyourpodcast.com, wegotyourpodcast.com. Our goal is to help you with your podcast, no matter if you're trying to create one in the community, no matter if you're trying to create one through a niche so that you can raise your revenue per um, account, no matter what you're doing, if you want to start it and we can help you to the end or we can just help you even with the one you have. I don't want podcasts podcasts to die. And I, when you start doing it, you're going to notice it is a big grind and you don't, and I don't want podcasts to die. So I created this uh, organization to be able to try and help you. We got your podcast.com. And I want to just keep in mind that get out there and listen to the digital broker podcast. You're going to get a lot more of this type of stuff. Ryan, you're going to be back on probably three or four times more this year. Greatly appreciate you in your mind and everything you do. I think that CIO thing's uh, got a lot of legs, especially as the years go by, um, especially when a lot of these CIOs are probably uh, extended and during a lot. I mean, there, there's not a lot of weird dudes like you, man. You guys are fucking. You guys are weird, bro. You guys, just, you guys just don't think like, like, it's like you're like insurance agents. People look at us and go, what are you doing? We're like, we love it, you know, but you're the same way. And I think you're even more weird. You're like a data guy inside the weird agent in this side of industry, man. I, I, love you, I love you, Ryan. I love you, man. Thank you, brother. All right, dude. Uh, hey, uh, thank you very much. And for all of you guys, uh, all you loyal listeners, this has been Agents Influence Podcast. Tell me your thoughts. Tell me your ideas. And I'm going to tell the world what you have to say. He's Ryan, I'm Cass, and we're out.